to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of June 26, 2016. On June 21, E-Trade announced a sweeping accessibility initiative that applies to its website, mobile applications, and investing platform. The company worked with blind investors Pratik Patel and Victor Saran in structured negotiations. No lawsuit was filed or needed. The law office of Laney Feingold and Linda Dardarian of Goldstein, Borgen, Dardarian, and Ho represented the blind investors. E-Trade will use WCAG 2.0 AA as its access standard, PDF slash UA for PDF accessibility, and has established a digital accessibility governance working group. Training, usability testing, and an accessibility information page are part of this comprehensive initiative. E-Trade accessibility press release can be found at www.lflegal.com slash 2016 slash jf slash e-trade dash press. E-Trade Accessibility Agreement can be found at www.lflegal.com slash 2016 slash jf slash e-trade dash agreement. And the E-Trade's new accessibility information page is at https colon slash slash us dot e-trade dot com slash customer dash service slash accessibility. The American Council of the Blind announced this week that a settlement had been reached with four Washington, D.C. taxi companies concerning the provision of service to customers with service dogs. Eric Bridges, Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind, reviews the history of this case and explains the settlement on page 2. We've been telling you about new proposed rules from the Federal Communications Commission that would greatly expand audio description on TV and via the Internet. We are currently in a comment period where anyone who wishes to do so can submit comments on the rule. ACB and the American Foundation for the Blind We'll hold a conference call, open to everyone throughout the country, shortly after the close of the ACB National Convention, to explain how you can make comments. ACB has already submitted its extensive and powerful comments, and we bring them to you on page 3. The Tri-State Library Users, a chapter of both the Kentucky Council of the Blind and Library Users of America, held a conference call on Tuesday, June 21, and Lynn Ramondo, author of the Mark Angelotti crime series consisting of Dante's Wood, Dante's Poison, and Dante's Dilemma, was our guest. Lynn, who is cited, spoke for nearly an hour on how she developed the main character of the book, who is a blind psychologist, as well as how one goes about writing a book and getting it published in today's world. Her presentation was outstanding. We have included on page 4 Lynn's comments about how she developed the lead character in her crime series. By the way, all three books are available on Bookshare at www.bookshare.org. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. 
page two. Eric Bridges is the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. Our office is now in Alexandria, Virginia. And for the past couple of years, I guess, we've been talking about an issue related to taxicab companies in Washington. And we're going to revisit that today. Welcome, Eric. Hi, Carla. It's good to be back with you. Eric, when this this particular scenario began, uh, you and former executive director Melanie Brunson had been involved in a little undercover type operation with a TV station where you all had gone out in a rainstorm and um, were trying to hail cabs. And being that you both were guide dog users, the the TV station was um, was kind of filming and watching to see if cabs passed you by. And in, in Washington, you can go out on the street and hail a cab, and they actually showed people, uh, you know, cabs coming by, slowing down, and, and then passing you by and, and leaving you standing there in the rainstorm. And that made a wonderful story on TV. Well, since then, there's been some other things that have happened as a result of that operation. So would you bring us up to date on what we have seen happen and, and a, a, a resolution that's been announced to this issue this week. Sure. So it's been, uh, it has been three years. Uh, oh, that long? The date, yes. Oh, my goodness. The date, uh, April 28th of 2013 oh, okay. was the day that we um, stood out in the rain, uh, <laughs> having taxis whiz by us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and you know, over the over those three years, uh, we had made attempts to uh, come to resolution with uh, those cab companies in question uh, outside of the formal legal process. Um, um, that unfortunately, those those efforts weren't successful. So last March, um, we filed against. Uh, the four taxi companies, uh, Grand, Yellow, Elite, and Pleasant, and uh, went through uh, a process after filing the lawsuit. Um, and I'm very, I'm very proud to say that we've reached uh, uh, a resolution with the companies that I think is going to be. Uh, substantive moving forward with regard to uh, taxis uh, no longer denying individuals with service dogs. Um, so it's <clears throat> it's been a long road, but nothing ever worth having seems very easy. Right. <laughs> it's been my experience inside ACB and in life, frankly. It what this uh, settlement does is it it puts in place uh, uh, non-discrimination policies with each of these four companies, and among the four, uh, makes up roughly uh, a little over twenty percent of the of the uh, taxis on the streets in Washington D.C. Uh, mm-hmm. Yellow and Grand are quite large, mm-hmm. and so non-discrimination policies 
that clearly state that you know a, a driver cannot deny entrance uh, to an individual who's blind with a service animal. Um, that the, that they err on the side of stopping uh, and not presuming anything, um, and that the the drivers are expected to sign to show that they understand uh, this this policy. And then from there, uh, these four companies have uh, agreed to put money into a a, uh, a fund that will monitor uh, compliance with the law. It's the the fund is made up of the the four taxi companies, uh, their contributions, which is. It winds up being fifteen dollars per cab per company mm-hmm. of the four. So, if you take a look at uh, Yellow Cab, they've got a little over five hundred taxis out there. Oh my goodness! Take a look at Grand, they've got a little over six hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other two, Pleasant and Elite, are are much smaller, a hundred taxis or, or less. Mm-hmm. And so, what that what that does is enables um, through this process for uh, third parties and also ACB um, to test, mm-hmm. uh, to, to go out and hail uh, taxis and monitor the level of compliance. Now, not every cab we're going to hail is going to be one of those four companies, mm-hmm. but it will allow for us to be able to provide real-time feedback to the four in question and also allow us to work with the other taxi companies that may have an issue. Our our intent is for other taxi companies in the other cab companies in the district to voluntarily uh, contribute to this fund because it's in all of their best interest mm-hmm. that all drivers are in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's, you know, all of this looks good on paper, but ultimately it's the level of compliance by these companies and the level of education that they're providing to their drivers, Mm -hmm. which brings really the last piece of this, which is a very positive development, and that is for the longest time there has been very little, if any, government oversight of the taxi industry in Washington. You know, the the D.C. uh, Taxi Commission has really been asleep at the wheel regarding um, acts of discrimination. And I I think that it is not uh, a coincidence at all that since we filed our lawsuit last year, the D.C. Taxi Commission has instituted a sensitivity um, training module for for cab drivers. And uh, in there, there's specific um, education and awareness given to individuals who are blind that are traveling with service dogs. So um, it's, that's quite good. Um, because the D.C. government has 
has really not been active or at times even awake, <laughs> I would argue, um, regarding this. And so I think, you know, the, the outcome that we've been able to to uh, settle on with the non-discrimination policy and the and the the testing fund to go along with you know the government oversight of this industry uh, becoming more active and more assertive uh, I think it sets up quite nicely for the future Eric of course it would be entirely speculative but do you see that this that this outcome could be and and some of the steps along the way um could have implications for similar situations um either in DC or especially in in maybe other areas of the of the country where people are having trouble with um with similar discriminatory acts by cab companies I do because it's the DC taxi system was really antiquated for a long time. Uh, they used the medallion system, or the, they used zones to charge people until like 2008, 2009, and then moved, thankfully, into the 21st century. So that sort of tells you a little bit about the DC system and how uh, strange and somewhat antiquated it has been. Uh, but, you know, doing, setting up non-discrimination policies, doing, you know, div, uh, creating a fund to, to do testing and monitoring, these are not specific sorts of things that only apply to Washington. I mean, these are, these are, um, you know, these are, are attributes of a, of a plan that could be, you know, implemented really anywhere in the country um, and that's that's one of the things that that I really wanted to see happen about you know regarding this you know it's not taking four companies to to court and you know soaking them or something you know mm-hmm. extracting a lot of money from them mm-hmm. and then you're left with the same problem even though there's been enrichment um, what what we were looking to do was to create change or to to be able to create a uh, a platform where there could be real change and so i think a lot of what we've done here is uh is applicable to other municipalities around the country yes i i think that this is um this is really a good, a good approach. Um, I especially like the approach that the um, that the goal is to solve a problem, not just um, get some kind of monetary payment. I, I think that is that is an approach that can serve us well in many situations, not just the taxis, but. Um, you know the real issue out here is is to solve problems and and to have better programs, better services um, for people who are blind or visually impaired. And 
that sometimes um, you know has to come along with with some type of of, of payment for example this um, this this fund for the testing and monitoring fund but um, but just to say oh uh, we're after this amount of money and at the end of the day you have no solution to the problem doesn't really solve anything so I, I really like this approach I think it's a, a very positive step um, and as you say it is it is going to be um, as it that the actual monitoring and testing will make this good will make this workable so uh, hopefully that will be able to to move forward and and produce a lot of positive things uh, that is my expectation it's yeah. been a, it's been a good week around here yes it certainly has well Eric um, I know that you have a very busy a week coming up in Minneapolis at the ACB convention and also uh, Tony Stevens from the National Office, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, is doing a, a number of programs also at ACB. You all are going to be very busy. Yes, we are, but uh, we're looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's, it's always a, it's a chaotic, hectic week, but it's also a lot of fun just to yes. be around folks. It certainly is. And a number of, of things that uh, you all are doing, a number of presentations that you all are making, are going to be among those programs uh, and uh, presentations that are going to be broadcast on ACB radio. So people out there who can't make it to Minneapolis can certainly tune in and and hear a lot of the information that's going to be presented, especially um, from uh, you and Tony at, at different functions. So hopefully people will take advantage of that. I certainly hope so. If you can't be in Minneapolis with us, uh, listen on ACB Radio. Right. And that website is www.acbradio.org. You can listen from any telephone. It doesn't matter if it's a landline, a cell phone, whatever, by dialing 605-475-8130. And in the sound prints for June 19, we had a pretty exhaustive list of the sessions and seminars and so on that are going to be recorded, or that are going to be either recorded or live streamed. Um, all of which will be replayed, and as part of that, we included information from the program. So you actually know what's going on in the general session each day. Um, you actually know when a particular speaker will be there, and there's a lot of good speakers this year. Um, my goodness, we have presentations in the general session by Google and Uber, and um, let's see, Microsoft is going to be there. Um, there's going to be quite a few. You, you all have done a great job on getting an outstanding group of pre presentations. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's. Um, I think it's a really interesting uh, sort of setup for, for our general sessions in that um, everything we do these days seemingly is impacted by technology in one way or another. And yes. as you look at our, our general session this year, I, I think it really speaks to that. Um, 
even down to uh, on on Wednesday, uh, July sixth, we have a presentation from the deputy administrator from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, mm-hmm. dealing with autonomous co- uh, vehicle technology, and an update on that. I can't wait, Eric. I just cannot wait for those autonomous cars. I mean, some people say, oh, no, don't want one. i got to tell you, I I cannot wait for it to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to love it. Well, we sure appreciate you taking time today to talk to us and bring us up to date on the taxi situation there in D.C., and we're looking forward to seeing you in Minnesota. Sounds good, Carla. Thanks for having me. Page 3. The following comments were posted by Tony Stevens, ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, on the ACB leadership this week and were subsequently forwarded to the KCB News List. If you'd like to receive information such as these comments and other details about ACB activities, you can subscribe to the KCB News List by sending a blank email to kcbnews-subscribe at kentucky-acb.org. Tony's post is entitled, ACB Comments on Expanding Video Description. It was posted on June 23 at 8.26 p.m. Below are comments ACB filed today with the FCC regarding their proposed rule for expanding video description under the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, CVAA. We want to share these as ACB will be holding a teleconference with AFB on July 13 to encourage individuals to submit their own comments. Feel free to reach out to me, Anthony Stevens, with any questions. Regards, Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs at the American Council of the Blind. His phone number is 202 207-5081. The comments read, American Council of the Blind, 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Telephone, 202-467-5081. Fax, 703-465-5085. June 23, 2016. Honorable Tom Wheeler, Chairman, Federal Communications Commission, 445 12th Street Southeast, Washington, D.C., 20554. R.E. NPRM, Expanding Video Consumers Navigation Choices, and in parens it has MB docket number 11-43. Dear Chairman Wheeler, The American Council of the Blind, ACB, welcomes the opportunity to comment on the Federal Communications Commission Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, NPRM, for regulations guiding the expansion of descriptive audio provided under the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, CVAA. ACB is the nation's leading grassroots consumer-based advocacy group for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. 
ACB is comprised of 70 state and special interest affiliates. ACB plays a vital part in the development and passage of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010, Public Law 111-260-111-265, which made significant advancements in the accessibility to mobile and telecommunications media providers. Subsequently, ACB has been actively involved with government and industry to assure that the intent of the CVAA remains a priority for the Commission and that accessibility standards are met with great consideration toward the consumer's best interest. Chief among these priorities around the CVAA is Advocacy for Expansion of Audio Description, AD. According to the Centers for Disease Control's CDC Vision Health Initiative, the incidence of blindness will continue to significantly increase over the next couple of decades, essentially doubling from the time the CVAA was passed in 2010. This increase continues to create an increase in demand for accessible video programming. As older age adults rely more on the care of their families, it can reasonably be assumed that the impact will ripple across the overall market share of households wherein families choose to seek reasonable accommodations for their loved ones. Indeed, ACB has recognized this demand and remains the leading voice in our country for audio description and has personally invested its resources into the training of qualified audio describers. Our Audio Description Project, ADP, convenes its Audio Description Training Academy whenever we hold a national meeting of our membership, and we continually work with other private, public, and not-for-profit organizations throughout the year to ensure that compliance and growth continue to meet the increase in demand. Occupying this vantage reaffirms our belief that the market is capable of expanding AD, and we believe the Commission should move forward on the fundamental assertion that the benefits will far outweigh the costs carried out through the proposed rule. Paragraph 6. Economic Burden as the Commission points out in paragraph 6 of its NPRM, no such request for full or partial exemption due to economic burden has been requested since the initial CVAA rule took effect. As more and more content is audio described, the catalog of accessible content continues to grow. Advances in delivery technology also provide additional means for consumers to access content with audio description. For instance, it is now possible for consumers to purchase over 300 films with included audio description via Apple's iTunes Store. Recognizing the increase in market demand and positive social impact, broadcast and cable networks have also gone beyond the scope of the CVAA, including audio description on older programs like those aired on Turner Broadcast Networks or via PBS stations. For this reason, 
ACB believes that the marketplace is in a much stronger and fertile environment for expansion of AD at this time compared to when the initial regulations were put into place. Therefore, if no economic burden has been reported up to this point, ACB finds it hard to believe that any market forces would result in creating any such constraints that would result in greater economic burden. Paragraph 8. Additional Regulations and Cost-Benefit Analysis ACB agrees with the Commission in that the benefits are greater than the technical and economic costs. As previously noted, the marketplace will continue to grow sizably for increased demand for accessible content over the next 20 years. It is crucial that industry be in a position to meet this demand, assuring that equal access to programming expand along with the market demand. To this end, the Commission should exercise its authority and assure that the benefits of equal access in the spirit of the CVAA are further strengthened through expansion of AD content. While closed captioning for the hearing impaired has existed for over four decades, AD remains relatively new. However, its social impact is no less than that which captioning has obtained over the decades. And while captioning is at roughly full saturation now, AD remains a fraction of that programming footprint. In order for Americans who are blind or visually impaired to gain equal access and full participation in our culture, it is important that government and industry recognize the responsibility we all have toward full inclusion. For this reason, any such expansion of AD holds substantial social benefits, and ACB affirms the Commission's proposal to further the inclusion of people who are blind or visually impaired. Paragraph 16, Television Programming It is the hope of ACB that the Commission will not allow multi-video programming distributors the ability to circumnavigate the CVAA by delivering their content as streaming media via the Internet. In situations where content providers traditionally covered under the CVAA adapt to stream their service via the Internet as an alternative to traditional hardware interfaces, we urge that coverage of the CVAA apply, such that AD can continue to pass through such delivery systems. Clear distinction between fee-based Internet services and multi-video programming distributors have been clouded some in recent years with online services like Sling TV that provide live television streams. Without clear regulations from the Department of Justice, DOJ, on Title III of the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and Web Accessibility, these services operate without clear and concise regulations guaranteeing equal access under the ADA. ACB asserts that if the Internet is used to carry live terrestrial broadcast television, then the Commission should have jurisdiction 
over the CVAA to regulate such program delivery systems if provided alternatively through Internet streaming to smart devices. This should include assurances that ADA would be passed through. Paragraph 28, 50% Threshold Elimination ACB commends the Commission for proposing to remove the 50% threshold exemption, opting to set the bar around primetime viewer ratings. There is no question that the rebirth of quality television programming is heavily favored by add-on or premium channels. Some of the greatest and most critically acclaimed programming exists on these channels today, and it is disheartening that there is not equal access to this programming for consumers who are blind or visually impaired. Primetime television is often the conversation most shared around the water cooler, and during television finales often can become social phenomena. Excluding AD from primetime programming that reaches such a level of popularity excludes individuals who are blind from participating in this shared experience. Paragraph 30, Expansion to 87.5 Hours Per Quarter ACB is pleased to see a proposed significant expansion from 50 quarter hours to 87.5 quarterly hours of AD programming. As previously noted, there are ample qualified professionals capable of tracking AD for this increase in the demand, and we believe the benefits for the additional recording and tracking of this expanded AD content will be far supported for expansion to 10 non-broadcast cable channels. Paragraph 33, Dedicated Customer Service Contacts A frequent complaint ACB receives about access to AD via MVPDs is lack of knowledge among primary customer service representatives and difficulty in accessing program information on available AD content. ACB supports the Commission's desire to align AD program info with 47 CFR 79.1 parens I paren 1-3 close paren. ACB strives to compile information from networks and posts it to our audio description project page. However, we rely on a variety of means to collect data on available programming. As such programming increases, it would be a benefit to have a single repository for information on currently available audio-described video content. At a minimum, networks could do a better job of making such information more readily available via listings accessed through telephone or an Internet website. As desktop boxes become covered under the CVAA at the latter part of this year, Programming guides should also make such information easily accessible. Paragraph 38, Secondary Audio ACB has been concerned over competing audio feeds for the secondary channel that would prevent AD from being transmitted when other audio streams, such as Spanish translation, receive priority. 
As the Commission points out in paragraph 38, the secondary audio stream is a temporary solution. Quote, that at some point in the near future, due to voluntary upgrades and equipment obsolescence, broadcasters, MVPDs, and the installed base of consumer equipment will be sufficiently advanced to handle a video description audio track that does not conflict with any other program-related service, end quote. ACB strongly believes that advancements in MVPDs, particularly through delivery via software applications, has demonstrated the capability of alternative means of delivery without conflicting with competing audio streams. On June 13, 2016, the Commission awarded Disney Corporation its AAA Accessibility Award in response to the Disney Movies Anywhere app. This app for Apple iOS devices allows synchronized audio description capable of running in tandem with Disney movies wherever the movie is being presented. Such innovation demonstrates the capability to include AD through software solutions. ACB believes that expansion of regulations to require multi-video programming distribution systems, MVPDs, have an alternative means to stream AD without the limitations placed by use of a secondary audio stream. As the industry moves toward more software delivery solutions via smart TVs that use applications for streaming over Internet Protocol, IP, such a requirement could spur innovative solutions toward delivering AD to consumers via mediums that no longer bear the constraints of traditional terrestrial broadcasting or MVPDs. In closing, ACB firmly supports the Commission's efforts to expand audio description, as the incidence of blindness will significantly increase over the next decade the demand for such content will also increase throughout American households. In light of this, ACB hopes that the Commission will map out in any final rule from this NPRM a plan and outline for future expansion. We assert that the benefits far outweigh the potential technical and economic costs. Furthermore, we commend the Commission for proposing expansion of the rule under 47 CFR 79.3 to include programming that represents a broader scope of viewers. If you have questions pertaining to these comments or need further information, please do not hesitate to contact ACB. We appreciate the opportunity to work with the Commission toward promoting true universal access embracing programming that is all-inclusive, and look forward to working with the Commission as it moves forward with its proposed rule. Sincerely, Anthony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, American Council of the Blind. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database http colon slash slash loius.aph.org Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies, 
APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 4. This is Bill Wright. I'm calling this meeting to order. Um, I'm uh, president of Christ State Library Users. I would uh, like to thank uh, Sue Ellen for setting up uh, the call tonight, and she's past president, and we'll turn it over to her and let her introduce these people. I am Sue Ellen Nilo. I'm also in uh, Louisville, and as Bill Wright said, I'm past president of Tri-State Library Users, and tonight um, I am very pleased to introduce um, author Lynn Ramondo. She has written the... Um, the book series involving Mark Angelotti, um, it, one of the best written blind fictional characters I have seen in a long time. So I invited her to come and talk to us about um, about her books. And, and, I, and, and this is Lynn, and I couldn't be more pleased to be here. Thank you, Sue Ellen, and the group for inviting me. It's a great opportunity. Um, we authors love to talk about our books, um, and uh, I'm open to any and all questions that you may have. Well, I, I'm anticipating that the, the number one question is going to be, why did you why did you write about a blind character? So maybe I should address that first, and, and then we can launch off for there. Does, does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, um, it's it, 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 it's a mildly complicated um, story, but it, but the, the short answer is I kind of backed into it. Um, I uh, I'm a lawyer by background. Um, I did trial law for. Um, 25 years in, in various roles, almost all of it defense work. Um, and um, I started writing um, after I had uh, left a, uh, a job for the state of Illinois and, and was taking a brief sabbatical and kind of needed something um, besides my, my three kids to keep me busy. And uh, when I sat down, I, I always read mysteries and crime novels. It's my thing. And so there was never any question in my mind that that's what I wanted uh, to write. Um, and I also um, wanted to use my background as a lawyer in some way. Uh, but um, I didn't really want to write about a lawyer protagonist, um, in, in part because um, uh, I, I was worried about it being kind of too thinly veiled autobiography. And um, um, and also, you know, let's face it, there are a lot of really spectacular legal thrillers out there. It's a crowded field, and I, and I wasn't quite sure how I would distinguish myself, either with readers or with um, the New York publishing business, if I just wrote another legal thriller. So I was fishing around for sort of an angle, and around that time, um, I was called myself to testify in a big civil case in federal district court in, in Chicago, and I spent two days... Uh, on the stand, which was a real eye-opener for me. I'd never 
uh, been a witness before, and um, it's, it was a strange experience for me having the, the tables turned instead of being the questioner, being the questioned uh, person. And I was imagining what it would feel like for somebody, um, not a lawyer, to be in that situation um, for the first time. And that's when I, I got the idea, well, what, what if I write a series about somebody who becomes a Trevino has arrived? And sort of inadvertently, um, an ex- uh, a witness in a major case, and, and maybe I can have him be really um, good at this, um, and um, good at being a, a witness, um, or, or she good at being a witness. But I think I had in my mind at that point it would be a male protagonist. Um, and what if, you know, this, my first book would be kind of their introduction to the legal system, and they discover, wow, they're pretty decent at testifying. And in, in, as, as the series continued, I would have this person. Um, be a be a hired expert witness in a number of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, that led to the question: Well, what sort of um, professional background should this person have? And that was fairly a fairly easy jump because a lot of the really, um, to me, and I think to a lot of people, the most interesting issues in criminal law relate to responsibility. Um, when are people either because of uh, um, you know, a, a, a mental or, or, or other uh, disability truly responsible for um, the acts that they commit. Um, and I thought there could be a lot of, you know, great ways to, to, to parlay those issues into a series that would also involve um, murders, as most mystery series uh, need to do. Um, so um, having settled on the idea of a psychiatrist, who would, who would become an expert witness in this series. Um, I was then set out to think about, well, what complicates his life? Because, you know, in, in the modern mystery series, um, we sort of need characters with, with complications. Um, you know, maybe they have uh, an ugly divorce in their background or they have a, an alcoholism problem or this or that is the other thing. But, it, you know, it just humanizes the, the protagonist for the reader. And so I wanted my character to have... Um, a problem, and maybe a couple of big problems. Um, and um, I started thinking about, well, what's the what's the thing that could, let's say you're a psychiatrist, what's the thing that would, 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 would basically bother you the most? Well, maybe it would be thinking that you yourself might be um, mentally ill. So I started thinking about that, and I came up with the idea of let's, let's have a psychiatrist who's done something in his past, um, that he justifiably feels um, tremendous remorse for guilt, remorse. And what if in the present day he comes down with um, an illness of some sort that um, at least leads him to believe that um, it might be psychosomatic? Believe or hope, because he's not sure what he wants the outcome to be. And I thought that would be kind of a cool subplot. Um, so then I needed the illness. And um, so I started looking at things um, that um, occur suddenly because most psychosomatic illnesses kind of appear out of the blue um, that might affect, like, part of your body but not the not other parts of your body. Um, and I, you know, I was sort of, like, following kind of like the classic train of psychosomatic illnesses, which typically... Um, I mean, the, the two most common ones back in the, the Freud era were, you know, you suddenly become paralyzed on one half of your body or you suddenly lose the sight in one eye. 
Um, so I started researching um, uh, illnesses, and I know this sounds like maybe a little bit weird, but this is what authors do. I was looking for like, um, you know, the illness that would would work in this context for me, and I and and I happened to cross uh, the illness that they ultimately. Um, uh, gave to my protagonist, which is um, labor's hereditary optic neuropathy. I don't know if any of you are familiar with LHON, um, but it's a disease that is caused by a genetic defect, um, which I liked for a lot of novelistic reasons. Um, and it um, uh, tends to strike men um, anywhere from their 20s to their 60s, uh, more often when they're younger, but can kind of happen to you at any point in life. Um, happens to women, too. Um, but more often men, and um, the way it presents is typically just like one day you wake up and you can't see out of one eye. You have a very big sort of a, uh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm losing the right term, but basically the whole middle of your, your sight, one eye is hazy, and um, typically that's followed um, days, weeks, months, um, but usually almost inevitably. Uh, by the same loss of sight in the other eye. And um, so I thought that could be kind of dramatic for the story. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, again, it's a little bit weird to say I'm happy finding this terrible illness I can satisfy, you know, saddle my hero with. But I thought it could be very interesting. The, the big stumbling point at that point for me was, wow, um, can I actually write about a blind protagonist? Um, I had no familiarity, personal familiarity with blindness, no family members um, or anything like that. And um, I thought, wow, I'm not sure I can really um, do this um, and, and do it fairly um, because I'm very big on, you know, realism or, or a lot of realism in, in fiction. I don't like to read read books where something that I know to be untrue is portrayed as though it is so I gradually I started researching, um, reading autobiographies, um, looking on the web. Um, I read a lot of stuff on the NFB website. I think I read every one of their kernel books. Um, and I started imagining this person and writing um, journal entries in Mark's voice. Um, writing journal entries is a fairly typical way that authors develop a character in their head. And gradually that's how, how Mark... Um, uh, came to be. Some, I think, some readers who who, who buy into a lot of um, stereotypes about persons with um, disabilities um, have found him to be um, a little bit bitter and um, sarcastic, especially in the first book. Um, I have encountered um, reviews on uh, Goodreads where people say, "Well, you know, this guy's really not nice." I know. You know, I, I, that was partially me thinking that when when a life event happens to to you like this in your um, late 40s um, and it changes your whole world, um, you probably start off a little bit angry. Um, and so I made him angry. Um, but he's not just angry about his sudden loss of vision. He's also angry at himself. Um, for, and I don't want to include too many spoilers in my talk, but he's also very angry at himself um, for something he did, which many people would consider fairly reprehensible. Um, and um, 
it, so he's struggling with, with, with two things, um, loss of sight, um, the suspicion slash hope that the loss of sight might not actually be real, um, the parallel fear that if it's not real, then he's going nuts. Um, and, and, and last is, you know, um, this, this horrible guilt. Um, and then he finds himself, this is a guy who does not like to be uh, wrong. He prides himself on being really smart and able. Um, and I wanted to give him a further complication um, because it's sometimes said that the best fiction is one in which you just torture the hell out of your characters. Um, the further complication was um, um, that he likes to be right, and I put him in a situation where he thinks he's right, and it turns out, or at least to all appearances, it turns out that he was um, very, very wrong. Um, and to to right that wrong, he has to, um, in a way, kind of redeem himself um, both professionally um, and as a kind of a sideline um, personally. So that's Sorry, that's a really long speech. I'll shut up now. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate this offer. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Page five. The Sound Prince Calendar. July 1 through 9 is the 55th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. The theme is ACB, Land of 10,000 Dreams, and the week will be packed with lots and lots of programs, workshops, tours, exhibits, and much more. Being held at the Hyatt Regency Hotel, 1300 Nicolette Mall in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Rooms are $89 a night plus state and local tax. Room reservations, call 888-421-1442. Mention the convention to ensure the convention rate. July 9 is Cinema Saturday. The film will be Daredevil from 2003, 12.30 to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. This is an audio-described movie that features an important visually impaired character. It's rated PG-13. It's free. Registration is required. Call 502-899-2213. July 10 is the ACB Next Generation meeting by conference call. The time is 8 p.m. and the phone number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. July 12 is the next Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired Savvy meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. July 12 to 14 is the Gateways 2016 Conference at the Kentucky School for the Blind. This is a summer in-service training for Kentucky's vision teachers. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583 and contact Beth Baker at extension 7105. On July 14, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next conference call meeting at 7 p.m. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. On July 15, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its first July roundabout with Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5 p.m., Discussion, 5 to 6, Dinner, $5 per person from 6 to 7, and dinner that night will be pizza, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. Call 
895-4598 to sign up. On July 16 is the second workshop in the Braille for the Sighted series at the APH Museum. Contact them to sign up at 502-899-2213. On July 17, the KSB alumni will hold its last board meeting before the 2016 reunion. It'll be at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. On July 18, KCB will hold its July board meeting at 8 p.m. on the same conference line. July 22 will be the next GLCB roundabout with the usual schedule, Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5, Education Discussion Time, 5 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, and Games and Crafts from 7 to 10. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On July 25, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have its July conference call at 7 p.m. on the line at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. And on July 29 will be the last GLCB roundabout for the month of July. More information and to sign up, 502-895-4598. On August 5 and 6, the KSB alumni will hold its 2016 Conference and Reunion at the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Information, call 502-897-1583. Hotel reservations, call 502-897-5101. And on August 13 is the final Cinema Saturday for this year. At the Printing House Museum, they'll be showing the Book of Eli from 2010. This is an R-rated movie. The showtime will be 12.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. And for more information and to sign up, call the museum at 502-899-2213. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.